we are going to get into a new series today, and I'm very excited about that. We've been kind of letting you know this for the last couple of weeks, and today we're kicking it off. The title of the series is The Supernatural Works of the Church. The Supernatural Works of the Church. I'll have you go to Mark 16, and you can just kind of put a placeholder in there for right now. These verses that I'll open up with are going to be the verses every single week that we're going to really kind of anchor off of, just so you know. But put a placeholder in there, Mark 16. And let me say this, the, the heart, the goal of this series is primarily to help people live in freedom, to help people live in the fullness of freedom that Jesus has paid the price for us to have. Uh, many times people step into freedom whenever they experience salvation. We know that that's like that's being delivered out of bondage and slavery, right? But there's walking into and uh, exercising that freedom throughout all the parts of our lives. And what we begin to see happen a lot of times is that people will start to live in a compromised or marginalized place of this freedom that God has for them to experience. Uh, and that's what we want to come against. And the reason why people do that is because the enemy comes against free people and tries to put them back in bondage. Does that make sense? He comes against free people and tries to put them back in bondage. The gospels or the scriptures tell us that the Son of Man was manifested so that the works of the devil might be destroyed. That's powerful. So when the Son of Man saves a soul, saves a person from the clutches of sin, they are set free. But listen, the same power that sets them free is available to continue destroying the works of the devil that are going to come against them throughout their lives to try and oppress them from realizing the fullness of the freedom that they have. That's why you see this figurative picture when Israel comes out of Egypt and they're brought into the promised land. So they're brought out of slavery and set into freedom, but part of freedom is beginning to go into the promised land, cultivate it, drive out enemies, and experience all the riches and fullness of what it has to offer them. Does that make sense? And so we can step into freedom and then get put pat, put pushed back into a place of bondage. And what this series is really about is to help people live at a level of freedom, possibly new levels of freedom than they ever even knew existed before. And so I'm excited about that. Yeah. And we say the supernatural works of the church, right? And Look, that word in itself, I, I, I wanted to just draw attention to the series by using that word, but here's, and I'm aware of this, this is what's happened, is that in some circles, of, if you will, of Christianity, the supernatural has been kind of like over-sensationalized, and it's become a whole lot more emotion and more man then it actually is really the realness of God working in the midst. And I, I get it. I know that's a turnoff. Listen, it's a turnoff to me too. But just because that happens doesn't mean there isn't something powerful in real that we must pursue in the supernatural things that are available to us. Look, the supernatural should be normal. 
Unnatural is not supernatural. Over-sensationalized, weird stuff, goofy stuff that's just, you're, you're going beyond where God is and you're making this your own thing now. Unnatural is not supernatural. But supernatural really should be a very normal part of our lives. It should be a very normal part of the way the church is operating and working. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of folks, teachers even, in the, in the church today that would suggest that this whole idea of supernatural works is done. It's over. It, it, it died in the days of the apostles. It was relevant then, but it was only relevant in that time. It's what's called a dispensational view. It only applies to an era of time. We don't subscribe to that theology. We would say that That's just as relevant, if not more relevant today than it's ever been before. This is how we destroy the works of the devil. Frankly, he didn't stop. Evil hasn't stopped in our world. I think you're aware of that, aren't you? So what do we do? Do we just flatline here as a church and kind of play normal? Or do we come up to a level that says, no, we have authority over this. These things are actually under our feet. We've got to destroy the works of the devil, and Jesus has commissioned us as his church to do that. I want to bring you into this to see through this time, we are all a part of this. We are all mandated as the church, the body of Christ, to destroy the works of the devil in our day and age and see Christ reign triumphantly and people live in freedom. We are commissioned to do that. Look, we planted the church six years ago, right? And uh, I'll just tell you this, that there have been people who have left here or have kind of criticized me or our, our teachings on both sides of the spectrum. It's just funny, right? Like some people would say, we're way too far out there, uh, you know, casting out demons and praying in new tongues and things like that. That's just way too much for me. That's super spiritual. You're way too out there. I'm out, you know. Some people have left or said, no, this is too much. This, at the exact same time, at the exact same time, I have had people, I mean, literally, I remember one time in the same week, I had a discussion with somebody about that, and then I had another discussion, a guy went to breakfast with me, and it was this really weird, awkward breakfast, I could tell something was up, and then afterwards, as we're leaving, right before we head out, he's like, hey, I just passed, I just got to tell you, and I could tell he was really nervous and everything, he's like, uh, we're going to be leaving, and I'm like, oh, what's, you know, what's the deal, he's like, um, we just really feel like you're quenching the spirit. So I'm like, this is unbelievable, you know. In the same week, I'm too far out there, and now I'm not spiritual enough. I, I remember wrestling with this. I was very, like, agitated, you know. I'm like, Lord, what is the deal? And let me tell you what the Lord spoke to me, and he just really, really helped me with this. He said, let me tell you something. You are not going to stand before that man at the end of your life. You're going to be standing before me. You're responsible for hearing me and doing what I tell you to do, discerning where it goes. Listen, I don't, we, we don't want some over-super-spiritual, over-sensationalized expression, but I'm telling you this, I am contending for a move of God that's genuine, that's authentic, that's destroying the works of the devil all of the time. Amen? And so, if we believe this, and we teach this, then we would say this is part of our theology 
And this is where I think we, we see this lacking in a lot of teachings, a lot of churches even today, is that it would be a part of their theology, but it's not necessarily expressed. Let me say this. Your theology should make its way into your liturgy, which is your services. It's your ecclesiology, your expression of how you do church and ministry. Your theology should make its way into your liturgy. You should be seeing the demonstration of those things in the way we come together corporately, worship, and contend for freedom in the lives of God's people. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go to Mark 16. So that's a little bit of the foundation for the series there. And let's read starting in verse 15. Jesus said to the disciples, now keep in mind, this is what we commonly refer to as the Great Commission. This is the mandate, this is the charge to the church by Jesus in his final moments on earth in resurrected form before he would ascend to the Father and sit down at the right hand of the throne, okay? This is the final commission that he gives. Mark 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out preaching everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, uh, we just ask you, God, (laughs) take this place, take this room, take... Take control. Holy Spirit, do whatever it is that you want to do. We, we give you complete place here. Lord, we yield to you, and we ask you to do whatever it is that you want to do. ask that you would speak through me, God, that your word, your truth, it would come forth like a penetrating sword, God, that it would separate and divide out the unhealthy things from us, and it would leave a, an incision in room for an impartation of fresh and new things in our spirit and in our soul, God, that would grow up to produce great fruit. We are not here for any other reason, Lord, than to worship you. We are not here for any other reason than to hear from you, God. And so we say now, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things I mentioned we're going to do is we're going to stay in Mark 16, anchoring verses through the series. But part of what I want you to know is that you kind of overlay the Gospels when you're studying Scripture because um, obviously each gospel gives a little different account of many of the same events. Three of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels because they're almost exactly the same chronologically order of events and everything else. Were you just talking about that this week because you're laughing like, wow, that just, we were just talking about that. See, that's what God does. That's the, um, and, then, and then there's the gospel of John. But listen, in Mark, we just read, <clears throat> here are some of the things that you see. Preach the gospel cast out demons, lay hands on the sick, pray in new tongues. You saw all that, right, when we read those verses. 
If you go to Matthew, you're going to see a stronger emphasis on making disciples, but also on taking the gospel into the world. And then if you go to Luke, it's interesting, right before Jesus ascends, you actually see the stronger emphasis on wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that would be necessary to do all of these works. So you have to fold all those together to really see kind of the fullness of the revelation that's there. Does that make sense? And so we're going to see all these things. So what I'm going to do is I want to give you sort of a forecast here, a little bit of an agenda of how we're going to do this series, okay? We are, so I'm kicking it off today, and I'm going to preach this series. There's five parts to this, and I'm going to be back and forth a little bit with Jerseyville in here, so it's not going to be consecutive every single week where you're just going to show a part two, part three, part four. It's going to be broken up a little bit, just so you know that, okay? I felt like, you know, we've done series where all of our preaching team have participated together, and it just really felt like this one, I wanted to preach these particular five messages that I've been working on for probably a year now, uh, and then our preaching team is going to rotate in and preach a series of messages on some really powerful spiritual supernatural things throughout that time, okay? Um, And so the other thing I want to prepare you for is in the month of August, we're going to have what we call encounter nights. You guys remember when we used to do those? A few people, yeah. Encounter night. So here in August uh, 26th, or here in August, yeah, here in the Waterloo Columbia campus on Friday, August 26th, we're going to have an encounter night. We're going to come, we're going to worship, we're going to experience the presence of God, and we're going to contend for a move of the Spirit. Uh, I believe there'll be things like prophetic, there'll be a lot of things that will be happening, so I invite you to be a part of that. It's intentional that we're doing that here in the middle of this series, all right? Um, and so here's, here's the, the agenda. Today, part one, we're going to start with evangelism is supernatural. And there's a reason for that. I'll get to it in a second, why we're starting here. Evangelism is supernatural. Then we're going to go into part two, casting out demons is supernatural. Then part three, healing is supernatural. Then we're going to look at healing on multiple levels. We're going to look at spiritual healing We're going to look at physical healing, but we're also going to look at emotional healing because that's the body, mind, and spirit, the fullness of our being. And Jesus offers healing for all of that, and that's the whole man, okay? And so that's part three. Part four, discipleship is supernatural. And then part five, praying in tongues is supernatural. And so this is what I want to challenge you to do. If this is new to you, if this is kind of like, whoa, this is, you're you're taking me to my limit, just hang with us for these weeks. Let me teach you scripture. Let me read the Bible and teach you from scripture and let the Lord do what he does and then see where you land on it. Because if this is real and these things are available, then wouldn't you want to know that and walk in that and live in the fullness of these things would be my question to you. So part one today, evangelism is supernatural, and I'll ask you this question to be thinking about through this uh, particular message, what does my evangelistic life look like? What does my evangelistic life look like? Because um, when you look at the word evangelism, the Greek word, you see it in a noun version, a couple different noun versions, and then a verb version in in the New Testament. And sometimes people get a little tripped up on this. For one, 
evangelist, okay? The word evangelist is a noun. It's a person. It's only used a few times in the New Testament, but when it's used, it actually refers to the corporate office of an evangelist in the church, one of the representations of the five-fold ministry, prophet, uh, pastor, teacher, evangelist, apostle. Evangelist is one of those. It has a very specific gifting, office, or position in the body of Christ to advance the works of God. Not everyone is called into the office of an evangelist, okay? But where we get tripped up is we think that only evangelists are supposed to evangelize. And that's where people get tripped up because evangelize is the verb version of that. And listen, this is all that means. It means to share the good news. It means to share the good news. You actually see most of the time that translates in our English Bibles as preach the gospel or bring good news. In fact, you remember the story of the angels appearing to the shepherds when the birth of Christ was coming? And what did they say? Behold, we bring you glad tidings and great joy. Bringing you glad tidings is the same Greek word of preaching the gospel. We're here to bring you the good news. Does that make sense? And so as we look at this concept of evangelism is supernatural, what I want you to see is that sharing the gospel and the response that happens when we do is not a natural event. It's something that actually takes place in the spiritual realm. It's a supernatural event, and it requires supernatural power. So point one, if you're taking notes, I've got three points for you today. Um, there's always an overarching you know, concept that we're headed towards. Evangelism is supernatural, and then I'll typically use a series of theological points to support that message, right? Number one, the gospel is foundational. The gospel is foundational. And what I mean by that is that it is the beginning of all other supernatural works that we are called to do. Saved people lead lost people to freedom. The gospel is the foundation of all of the other supernatural works. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus made a really distinct point to make this clear to his disciples. Let's go to Luke chapter 10, verse 17. It was the 70 disciples that Jesus had sent out to do works in his name. They're returning. Here's what happens when they get back. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking back, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, speaking to the time when Satan was cast out of heaven uh, in the beginning. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You see this? You see what's happening, right? Now, Jesus is not downplaying the significance of these miraculous works that they're doing. That's actually not what he's doing. He's trying to upplay for them the significance of the fact that their names are written in the book of heaven. 
Let me tell you something, church. This is what we need to be careful of. We need to be very careful that we never get more fascinated with things like casting out demons and devilish spirits than we are fascinated with the fact that a lost soul is now stepping into a place of eternal life. We make sure this is the foundation of everything. Because let me tell you something, that person that just got healed, that physical body is still going into the dust of the earth one day. But that spirit that was dead, that's now alive, is going to receive a resurrected body and be in eternity with Jesus for the rest of the age. That is the foundation for all of the miraculous. When we understand that we are saved people, then we understand our rights and authority to go out and destroy the works of the devil in the name of the one who saved us. Does that make sense? It's just making sure we never get the horse before the cart. Mark chapter 16, verse 16, we read this in the, in the Great Commission. He says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Scripture says it this way, behold, both life and death are before you. You see, every soul, every spirit in this world is faced with a decision. It's the single greatest decision that we will ever make in our life. What will we do with Jesus? The gospel is the news that is presented that is the only thing that can change that eternal condition. Nothing else can do that. Does that make sense? So, so when a spirit is brought out of spiritual death and brought into new life. I mean, I'm just asking, is that not the most miraculous thing that you can ever think about or ever hear? We need to be so aware of that that when we're thinking about all the things that are going on, this is our greatest objective. To this end, we labor to populate heaven so that more may hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter says this, he says, this gospel that we preach to you was the mystery throughout all of the ages, meaning this, the prophets spoke about this, that there would be a deliverer that would come, that there would be a Messiah, that there would be a grace that would save us, but they really didn't even understand what they were, they were looking for it, but they didn't see it. Peter says, now behold, you see it by the gospel that we preach to you, the news of Jesus Christ. He says, it's so miraculous that even the angels of heaven desire to peer into it. Wow. The gospel carries the full expression of God's wisdom and of his knowledge for saving the world, lost people, and bringing them back into relationship with him. So number one, the gospel is foundational. Number two, the gospel is anointed. The gospel is anointed. About three years ago, I went to one of my mentors, some friends of ours at, the, at Gateway where we have some really strong relationships, and I just said, hey, um, help me out with my preaching. Cr- critique me. You know, I want to get better. Help me with my preaching. And so they listened to a bunch of my messages or whatever, and they gave me some really great advice and things that I've implemented that I think have helped, right? But one of the things that he said to me that I'll never forget, he said, Matt, here's what you want to keep in mind. Every time you get up there to preach a message, just make sure that you focus on the gospel. Just just, because every story is a story that leads to Jesus. All roads lead to Rome, right? Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. It's just your job to make that 
make that obvious. If you will preach the gospel, it's God's message. It'll always be anointed. And I was like, wow, that's really good, right? The gospel is anointed. It's God's message. So the message itself is anointed. But let me tell you what else is anointed. The messenger, the willing vessel to share that good news will also come under an anointing because it's God's message and he is interested in advancing that message. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but Jesus himself, God in the flesh, human form on the earth, deity clothed in humanity, he was anointed. He was anointed actually with the Holy Spirit because he needed to demonstrate to us what was possible in human form. Okay, let me prove that to you. Go to Acts chapter 10 verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Can't get more clear than that right there, right? <laughs> he anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit with, and with power. Now, personally, I, I would say he is Jesus. I, I'm pretty sure he could do whatever he wanted to do, but he came in the flesh and he demonstrated what was possible in the flesh with the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was upon him. You remember in the baptism of Jesus, we see that in all the Gospels, it says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. John says that it actually rested upon him and stayed upon him. So he hosted the presence of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit as he carried out all the works that he was doing when he began his ministry at some 33 years old, 30 years old, right? And so listen to this, Luke chapter 4 verse 18 Jesus gets up and reads the book of Isaiah in his own town of Nazareth. You remember that part, right? They wanted to kill him after that because he said, this has come true this day. But here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Because he has anointed me. You see that? The messenger is anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Here we go, evangelism. He has sent me to heal, healing, the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, deliverance, and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set, all, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So everything that Jesus did, he did under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the flesh. Am I making sense? So the messenger is anointed, but it's the same for us. We are invited to walk under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and carry God's message forward. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, an anointing. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit divinely empowers believers to share his message. You see that? You'll receive power so that you can be witnesses for me, so that you can share my message. We need an anointing. God is willing to give it so that his anointed message can be advanced. And when we do share the good news by way of our testimony, by way of just sharing the love of Jesus with others, there's so many different dynamics and ways that we can do that, right? Not just in a corporate uh, worship service here. Yeah, you can invite people to church, but you can share Jesus with people everywhere you go. You can share the gospel everywhere you go. You can share your testimony everywhere you go. And when you do, there is a special anointing, but there's a special blessing as well. Listen to this, Romans chapter 10, verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. 
He just says a messenger is blessed. So the word evangelize actually is made up of two words. O-E-U, which is good, and then angelos, which is messenger, which is sometimes translated as angel. It can mean human or celestial messenger. But here's the point of that. It's a messenger that brings the good news. Right? Have you ever said to somebody or somebody said to you, wow, you are absolutely an angel. Boy, you are an angel, right? Katie says it to me all the time, right? All the time. She's like, ah, I don't think once, actually. I'm just having a little fun with this, but let me just say it like this. Angel, good news. Messenger, good news. When we share the gospel with others, we're like an angel. We're bringing great news that will change their life forever if they will hear that. That's a huge thing. And there's an anointing there for the hearer who will choose to hear. Let me say this, because this is important. We are responsible for sharing what Jesus tells us to share whenever he tells us to share it. There's an obligation. The Lord speaks to you, hey, talk to this person. You have a decision now. I'm telling you, I, I've, I've neglected that. There's been plenty of times, and it's grieved my heart afterwards. I should have said something. I should have just asked, how are you today? Can I pray for you? Like, right? I mean, it happens all the time, and we have a choice. We are responsible with what we do with that, but we are not responsible with the way people respond. You need to get over that. You can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. All we can do is present the message, and you may think, like I have thought many a times, this person will never hear. This person is so hard. They're so callous. Let me tell you something. I've sat here and preached messages, and I've looked out, and I've made eye contact with people before, and I thought, man, that person is the most closed-off person that I've ever seen. I mean, they're literally just like nose up and bad look and arms closed, and I'm just like, this is tough, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, wow, boy, this person is probably regretting they came today. It happens. It's happening right now. You don't know who you are. I'm just kidding. It's not. It's not. not. (laughs) Everybody look to your neighbor. Make sure they don't have their arms folded right now. (laughs) True story, though. This just happened probably a month, month and a half ago. This was going on during service. At the end of service, I gave an invitation for people to respond to the gospel, to give their heart to Jesus, and I watched this guy melt, break, raise his hand, gave his life to Christ, pouring out tears all over his face. whole time, I thought, this guy is the most closed-off guy I've ever heard or ever seen. Jeremiah says this, the word of God is like a hammer. It will shatter the hardest of rock into the littlest of pieces. Isaiah says that the anointing will break the yoke. The yoke of bondage, of spiritual blindness. I'm telling you, I've seen it and I can't unsee it. Somebody that's blind and closed off, the gospel is shared. There's an anointing for that. They yield their spirit and then by supernatural ability, God opens their eyes and now they can see truth and they are changed eternally after that. Hallelujah. The gospel is anointed. And I just got to make this last little point here on this number two. Uh, it's kind of the, the, the converse of that point. The gospel is anointed, just so we know. False gospels are condemned. False gospels are condemned. What is a false gospel? Well, Paul says it in this way in Galatians. Anything but the gospel. 
anybody comes to you with another gospel, there is no other gospel. There's one gospel. And so any, and any says if they're doing that, they're perverting the gospel. So anything that's contrary to true scripture is actually condemned by God. It says that Matt, uh, Jesus said in Matthew, he says, in the last days, false teachers will rise up. Now, here's what you got to understand when he says will rise up. That means that there, there's kind of like, you know, these normal trajectories we see. But you ever notice, like, sometimes there's these spikes in the growth curve, like something erupts. There's catapulting type of growth. That's what he's talking about. As we get close to the end, the uprising of false teachers, false gospels, perverted teachings that appear to be true. Satan is a, he disguises himself as an angel in light. His ministers, he says, why would you be surprised that his ministers would also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness? It looks enough like the truth that those who are not really sound will be deceived, but it's actually just a perversion and a distortion of the truth. He says they will rise up in the last days. This is what I want you to get. Okay, as we get close to the end, a lot of people think, oh, it's a godless society. You know, it's just a bunch of atheistic things. God's not present. And and on a degree, I understand that. But in the end times, there, there will not be an absence of religion. There will actually be an uprising of religion, but it will be very perverted, distorted and flawed from what the truth of the gospel actually is. There will be a lot of religion. There will be a lot of idols. There will be a lot of people worshiping self, worshiping culture, worshiping ideologies, worshiping mind and enlightenment. Sound familiar? These things are actually going to happen on a rampant level. It's not an absence of religion. It's actually a widespread existence of false religion and false doctrine. And that's why he says that we need to be aware and prepared that these things are coming and that we need to know the truth of the gospel. I think this is a big reason why you see, when you study the teachings of the Apostle Paul, you know, he wrote nearly three quarters of the New Testament, what you'll find is this, Paul never stopped preaching the gospel to saved people. Think about that for just a second, because we talked about the importance of the gospel and never being you know, in awe of something more than that, right? Paul never stopped preaching the gospel to saved people. Because we need to continue to hear that message. We need to never stop being in awe of that. If it ever seems like stale bread to you, something is shifted and something is wrong. That's always freshness, right? But he kept preaching the gospel to saved people. Why? So that we could spot the counterfeit and spot the phony from a mile away and reject that. Reject that. The Apostle John says this, if you receive false teaching and false doctrine into your home, which means if you give place to it, if you give fellowship to it, if you tolerate it, and I know that, that, that's, that probably needs to be broke down more than that, but I'm just, you understand what I'm saying, right? If you participate with that, if you partake of it, you tolerate it, here's what he says. He said that you actually share with evil. Let me say it another way. Partner with lies partner with lies. You know, there's a, there's a big kind of cultural movement, right, around gender confusion and, and gender choice. And while well, I was born a boy, but I can be a girl, I was born a girl and I could be a boy. Here's now where the pressure is, is that we, uh, a society, is being forced and pressured to accept and acknowledge people around this false identity that they're now claiming. 
And if you don't do that, there's actually a term for that. It's called dead naming, where you refer to the person as who they were before their transition. So there's this pressure. It seems subtle, right? But there's this pressure for us culturally to accept that, to go along with that. Okay, well, I'll refer to you as a girl, even though you're a boy, and I'll call you she, even though you're he. Let me tell you something. Here's the problem with that, okay? This is why we can't bow down to that. Because when we begin to do that, we are partnering with lies. We are acknowledging something that is not how our creator has created that individual. These things are pressuring us at every level of society. That's why we've got to know what the true gospel and word of God says so that we can reject all counterfeits and phonies. We love all people, but listen, we, we cannot be tolerant of false teachings and false gospels. We cannot. And I know that that's a big thing, like, well, Christians are intolerant. Well, listen, I don't know about you, but I don't have the luxury of being tolerant of false teachings and false doctrines. I'm sorry, but the Bible says that I should obey God before I obey man. And if it's cost me something, then I guess it's going to cost me something. Paul says in Galatians, he says, Don, if I were meant to be a men pleaser, if I was trying to be a men pleaser, I'd tell you this, I could never be a bond servant of Jesus Christ because I'm too worried about pleasing men, so I could never really do what God has called me to do because obeying Christ is sometimes going to mean offending men because we're sticking true to what Scripture tells us to do. Oh, I'm telling you. All right. I was going to say I'm done, but I'm not. I'm almost done. Here it says we are to expose works of darkness. It says we are to rebuke them sharply. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. I'm telling you, there's a, there's a firm warning, a firm warning for false doctrines. Those people who, who propagate that stuff, he says they're like wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. There's a serious offense. It's to be treated very seriously when the gospel is perverted. And then point number three, the last one, is the gospel must be preached. <laughs> it's it's, it's got to be preached. Here's the other pressure. Keep it quiet. Keep your religion quiet. Keep your faith quiet. If we don't have a place for that in society, you keep that in the walls of your church. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to obey God, that is absolutely anti-scriptural. Keep your faith quiet. We're to preach the gospel everywhere all the time. Share the good news everywhere all the time. If it's the most important news that anybody could ever hear, why would we silence that message? Why would we quiet it down? Why would we tame it down? Amen. Right? Jesus says that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and in the end will come. So when we share the gospel with all who will listen in every occasion that we are given the opportunity to, not being responsible for the outcome, but just being responsible for obeying, listen to me, we are partnering with the will of God to advance his message here on the earth. And when the gospel is taken into the whole world and only the Lord knows what that timing is and what it looks like, we are partnering with the will of God because in taking the gospel to the nations... When that mission is completed by the church, that will usher in the end of age and Christ will return for his bride. Wow. Evangelism is pretty important, isn't it? Peter says we should be ready always to give a defense for our faith when the opportunity arises. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says, be ready in all seasons. Not some seasons, <laughs> every season. Be ready to share the gospel, to preach the word of God to anyone who will listen. We cannot be afraid of offending people and silencing the gospel. Acts chapter 5, verse 28. The apostles are being thrown in jail for teaching Jesus. And this is what the authorities say. Did we not strictly command you? Think about this in today's context, guys. Think about this. I mean, really, the intimidation tactics are not so much different, right? Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Paul says in Philippians, we speak boldly and without fear. And there's an anointing to speak boldly. But we do it without fear, without intimidation tactics that are meant to silence us or suppress that message. Part of my job is to help us develop this kind of faith. It really is. I, I feel like that's a mandate, like to help whoever God has entrusted me to shepherd and lead, to help them develop solid, strong, backbone faith that will stand firm in the face of adversity, not cower down. It's part of my job. And I realize that means probably teaching and preaching sometimes what would be considered culturally some unpopular messages. And it's okay. I'm all right with that. But I will be held accountable for the way I preach and teach this word and the way that I help people develop their faith. I know it needs to be a strong faith because I really think, this is just my opinion, I really think that the, time, the times of being a Christian are going to get harder. I don't think it's going to get easier. I just don't. And I want you to be able to stand strong in the day of persecution and in the face of temptation. That's what I want. November 23rd, the year is 1596. There is a young 12-year-old boy. His name is Ibaraji. He's in Japan, Kyoto, Japan. It was one of the most intense times of persecution history records of Christians. This 12-year-old boy is one of 26 Christians who have been sentenced to die for their faith. The soldiers and authorities have created a bunch of makeshift crosses that are scattered all over the land, getting ready to go up for the executions. The soldier comes over to the little 12-year-old boy and says, Son, make this easy on yourself. Recant your faith and live your life. The little boy looks at the soldier, and he says, Sir, it would be much better for you if you would become a Christian so you could be with me in heaven. I will not recant. Which cross is mine? And they were executed, all 26 of them that day. History records that hundreds of thousands, some actually even say one million Christians were killed over the next 70 years in Japan as part of this persecution. Many of those who were martyred actually testified and recorded that that young 12-year-old boy's story motivated and inspired their faith to not recant Jesus Christ in the day of persecution. I don't know what the future holds, but I know this. We need to be found with a solid faith. The Bible says, the eyes of the Lord look over the earth to and fro. Where will he find faith? 
in moments of testing and against resistance, as you've probably discovered as I have, is actually where strength is produced and created. Amen? The gospel, folks, be encouraged. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. People may be martyred. People may be put down in different ways in different times. But the gospel cannot be stopped. It's been spreading and spreading and spreading through some of the most intense times of persecution over the ages, and it continues to prevail. Acts chapter 5, verse 39, if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, <laughs> lest you even be found to fight against God. Paul says that I may be in chains, but I'm telling you this, the word of God, it's never chained. It's never bound. This news that we have, that we get to share, it's the most important news. When we're sharing it, I'm going to tell you something. We are more than a speaker. It's more than a lecture. It's more than a simple message. It is an anointed, supernatural message that carries forth the ability to bring life from dead souls. It is the most important thing, and it is the foundation for all other miraculous works that we are called to do. Saved people lead lost people to freedom. Saved people destroy the works of the devil and walk in freedom in their lives. John Wesley said this. He's one of my favorite theologians from the 1700s. He was part of a massive revival and awakening over in Europe. He said this, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, so as long as you can. Hallelujah. I'll just insert the gospel in that. Share the good news with all you can, by every means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. Because the day is going to come for each and every one of us when our ability to share this message will end. And I just think... From an eternal perspective, I'm going to look back and I'm probably going to wish I would have shared it a whole lot more. Because all these other things that seem important are just going to melt away. And the things that are like gold, that are earthly treasure, are going to pass through the fire at the end. And I just think that when I look back, I'm going to wish I would have shared this news even more than I already did. Evangelism is supernatural. It's the thing that we are to be the most fascinated with at all times. And if we get that message, and we get that, we will be ambassadors. We will be agents. Because if that message burns in our heart, just like Jeremiah said, it's like fire in my bones. I couldn't shut it in and contain it even if I tried and if I wanted to. It's just got to come out. When we get the reality of what it is, it works its way out of us into all the things that we do and all the conversations that we have. Here's what I'll bet, and I'll close with this. I will bet for almost every person here who's a believer, who's, who knows Jesus, there is someone right now who God has laid on your heart that you are desiring to see saved. Someone you know that you're thinking, have had the thought, boy, if they just... Man, if they could just find Jesus, if they just knew Jesus. Do not underestimate what that is. 
God is laying a soul on your heart. And I believe he's asking you to intercede, to contend for them, to pray for them. Do not underestimate the power of intercession, of standing in the gap and praying for lost souls. In fact, we talked a lot about testimonies in the beginning and in the last couple of weeks. You know what a common thread that I have noticed over the last couple of months are? This is interesting. The Lord just sort of pointed this out to me. I heard this from multiple people. Is that in many of these testimonies, before the testimony came, there was a small group of two or three people who were gathering together for a time and praying for that person. Don't underestimate the power of that. Jesus says, when two or three are gathered together in my midst, there I am with them. Just a small group making sacrifices of prayer. I'm going to contend for that soul. I'm going to contend for that person. I'm going to stand in the gap, and heaven's going to hear, and God's going to surround that person with an atmosphere that's ripe for the presentation of the gospel, be it me or others around them, and I'm contending for that person to go from death to life. And then we are hooking in with the mission of the church to see lost people saved and set free. And as we'll get into in the weeks ahead, continue to step into the fullness of freedom that's available to us in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's just bow our heads. And we're going to pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we are going to pray right now. For every single person, whoever God's putting on your heart, on your mind, just take them right now. You, you take responsibility for praying for them in this moment right now. Lord God, I'm, I'm confident that there are dozens, if not more, represented souls right now that in this room we are contending for. We are contending not only for the lost soul, but God, we are contending for the prodigal as well. Those who have left home, those who have run away, those who are lost and broken in their own ways. We're praying for them to come home as well. God, we know at the end of this prayer, there's a person, there's a soul, there's a will someone who has to make a decision and a choice but we know God that our prayers in this moment you hear it is your desire to intervene and act and we are petitioning you Lord surround them with your love surround them with your grace make yourself known put people around them who are faithful servants of yours who will faithfully share the message and who will represent you well and I pray for each and every one of us here, Lord, that you would help us in our moment of opportunity to hear, to discern. And Lord, if we may be so bold, that you would give us the strength even to obey, to act in those moments and opportunities. Help us to represent you well also. If you're here today, listen, before we go, I just want to make this invitation. If you're here you would say, Pastor, I think I'm the one who needs to give my life to Jesus. 
Maybe you've never given your heart to him. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Possibly the idea of religion or church has been appealing. Maybe the blessings of God have been appealing. But you've never really laid down your will and submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. To turn away from your life, your way of doing things and turn entirely to his. That means obeying him when it's inconvenient for you to do so. That's when he's Lord. You say, yeah, I don't think I've ever done that before. I I really, this is a new moment for me. I see Jesus in a new light. I want to totally surrender my life and live for him. Or maybe you've walked away. Like that prodigal, you've went down a broken road. You've went into a place that's really, really dark feel very distant from God your spirit is grieved because in your heart you know that you need to be walking closely with him this moment right now today could be your day of coming back to Jesus him receiving you in his loving arms and walking with him from this point forward closely not because you've earned something but because his grace is available to you as well here and you'd say that's me I want to give my heart to Christ or I want to get back to walking with him all over this place just so I can see who you are while heads are still bowed would you raise your hand because I want to lead you in a prayer today if that's you you say yep God bless you ma'am I see your hand back there praise God yes spirit of the Lord just kind of moving spirit of conviction is there anyone else here today that would say yep I want to give my heart to Christ or I want to get back to walking closely with him. All the saints quietly praying. Hallelujah. Ma'am, let this be the prayer of your heart. I believe it will be. Lord, I give my life to you. I surrender my will to yours. I'm coming back to you today. God, somewhere along the line, I got off track. I got down a bad path I feel distant from you and I want to feel close to you again Lord so as a first act I'm repenting, I'm asking you to forgive me of anything any wrong I've done it's against your will, against your ways wash me clean God welcome me back into closeness and fellowship with you help me to become the person that you've created me to be in Jesus name everybody said amen, amen has anybody been encouraged today? Hallelujah. God is good, isn't he? His message is the greatest message that's ever been told. It's the greatest news that there's ever been. And we have the opportunity, the privilege, and might I say the mandate of sharing that good news at all times with all who will hear on every occasion. Amen.